continue our program on this uh, Wednesday morning. This is Left, Right, and Center. Robert Metz uh, joining me as he does every Wednesday. Nice to see you Bob. Jim. And uh, Reverend Susan Eagle sitting in for the vacationing uh, can't be found. We don't know where he is today. Jeff Schlemmer, nice to have you here, Susan. Thank you. Susan, of course, is a community activist, United Church minister, and member of our London City Council as well. Um, I was hoping today that we might take advantage of having the two of you here and your two distinctly different uh, viewpoints and what's happening and talk a little bit about employment these days in, in, in Ontario and in, in London more specifically, but I guess in Ontario generally. Uh, certainly we've had enough time now to see uh, what some people claim are the results of the economic policies of the Harris government for good or ill, the economic policies of the, uh, of the Chrétien government, which is also seen by many to be a more conservative than liberal government, fiscally anyway. Um, headlines in the paper not too many days ago about hundreds of thousands of new jobs uh, having been created in this country over the last year, year and a half. Um, we certainly hear a lot of economic news too about this resurgence that apparently the economy is back on track, that growth may actually exceed some of the expectations this time last year, that Canadians are expressing their confidence in the economy, they're buying more uh, durable consumer goods than they were in the past, and that's a great uh, uh, energizer of the economy. Um, and new stats out yesterday talking about what we do and, and, and who's doing what in our country uh, seem to suggest that there are more people in what we used to call entrepreneurial jobs. We still do, I guess, but jobs where you are your own boss. Now, in some cases, you may be an entrepreneur uh, in the older sense of that word, someone who really did seize the initiative and made the most of every opportunity afforded you. Uh, today, entrepreneurs can also include people who have little choice but to try and find something to do. And in many cases, they can't find an employer. They end up working for themselves. They may be cleaning people or, or you know, cleaning homes or, or cutting grass or who knows what, a whole wide variety of, of shall we say, the lo lesser paid entrepreneurial jobs. Um, and, and, and given, the, uh, uh, given Bob's... Uh, 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 often made comments about his belief in the free market and, and that it ultimately, and stop me anywhere I go off the tracks here, but ultimately it's a fairer way to distribute what we've got and what we're dealing with than any of the other systems. Um, many people are saying now that this is proof that, that an increased emphasis on laissez-faire, although it's certainly not a wide open market, that we're starting to see the benefits. Is that how you see these new numbers? More jobs, more people working? I, I see it as a combination of things. Um, uh, absolutely, uh, you know, I, it's curious. We may be talking about a lot of new jobs. I'm curious what the actual unemployment official rate is. Has it gone up as well? well Sometimes you see it go up at the same time the government's saying there's a lot of new jobs. In London, there. the new figures last week show that we're down again, 6.8% in London. Well, so that, that's very good news. And you've already uh, said a few things with uh, tax cuts coming in. And, you know, there's a negative side, too, that you talked about people with little choice in terms of finding an employer. So they decide to be their own employer. Uh, that may sound negative when you're confronted with it as a new dilemma in your life, but once you undertake that choice, a lot of people discover that's the best choice they ever made in their life. So uh, it certainly does open the door to opportunity. And all these people that are, that are becoming self-employed will, if successful, become employers for other people in the future. So, What if they're not successful? What if they're victims of this, this uncaring system that, particularly in the last few years, has re-emphasized the fact that it doesn't care much for the individual? Uh, for groups of people, yes, 
as, as providers of services or as consumers of services, it's very interested in them. But as individuals, you're, you're increasingly left on your own. Well, that's part of the free enterprise system. You have to have the freedom to fail. If someone's always holding you up, you aren't learning from your mistakes, and you're, not, and you're going to repeat the mistakes of the past. A lot of people think that's a cruel approach and that it's a, it's a, a you know, dog-eat-dog kind of laissez-faire attitude, when, when in fact that's not what it's all about at all. When we're talking about economics, we're talking about people being economically efficient in a certain area where they can reap the greatest benefit for the least effort, which is basically what we're all trying to do in a marketplace. And that's a legitimate thing to try to do. Susan, as you look at, uh, at the news that's been coming out lately, uh, supposedly hundreds of thousands of new jobs, unemployment down not to record lows in London, but certainly down significantly. Um, employment figures showing us that more people are working for themselves, entrepreneurs and so on. And you look at the impact of the of the uh, federal and provincial government, and, and as a municipal politician, certainly you're very aware of those impacts as they relate to municipally. But as as a minister and a community activist, I know you're also uh, intimately involved with how they affect individuals. When you look at where we are today, um, Bob's kind of positive about the way things are going. How do you feel about it? Well, I guess the first lesson I, uh, I've learned, Jim, is that uh, statistics don't always give us the real picture. Um, so I'm looking even at the uh, at the list of, of jobs that have been created and the unemployment rate. Yet we're being told the unemployment rate is down, and yet we also know that the way in which they gather the data around unemployment has changed. Mm -hmm. So some people don't figure in that statistic anymore. So um, is unemployment down? I hope so. I'm, I'm not seeing that out in the community, and I'm not hearing that from people. But the other thing that I'm also looking at is that where we're seeing people out in the community, the gap is growing between those who are able to find and hold employment and those who, if they can't find and hold employment, are falling further and further behind. So we really are developing uh, what some um, statisticians or, or, or analysts are calling the underclass in our community, which are people who are really, really getting so far behind that... Um, that they're they're becoming hopeless in our economy. So I'm looking at at that both as a as a Christian minister and as a um, and as a city councillor in terms of um, are the statistics giving us the real picture? We're being told there's growth certainly, and 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 that seems to be apparent. But is that growth um, helping everyone in the economy? It doesn't seem so. And are more people employed? Uh, if they are employed, are they having good jobs that help them pay for the family bills, pay the mortgage, feed their kids, uh, pay for their needs? That, I think the the jury's still out on in terms of whether or not we're actually better off. Well, let me ask you about that underclass, because you, you mentioned earlier about people being able to take the maximum economic advantage of what they have to offer, the mm -hmm. system and so on, in the community. What about that underclass? Let's use, I'm not comfortable well, with that word. I was word, actually going to ask a question about that myself. Susan describes a certain class of people as being, quote, hopeless. And I'm not sure who you mean by hopeless. Are you talking about people who are unwilling to take the risk to, to, to be self-employed? No, I'm on talking people about who the people who are not able to even find uh, that they can even pay rent anymore. People who are finding that the only jobs they can find are these mi minimum wage and part-time kinds of jobs that they can't sustain. Well, wouldn't that be the same kind of person Jim has described in these new statistics who've created all these kinds of jobs and gone to work for themselves? Aren't those the same people who were well, faced with little choice and had a mortgage to pay and things were catching up on them? It sounds to me like the same person you're describing. 
Well, some folks have been able to, to get out of that hole, but there's other folks who are falling further and further behind. Um, if you're a single parent with kids, you probably are not able, and you don't have much in the bank, you probably aren't able to come up with the wherewithal that you need for the initial down payment to, to start the, the self-employment that you need. Uh, if you check with any banks, you'll find that they're not particularly anxious to hand out loans to people who don't have any collateral at all. So yeah, but what, if you're you able to create... You don't need a loan to buy a snow shovel or a rake or, or, or a... And you also can't feed a family on what you can pull in in a little bit of snow, snow shoveling here and there on some people's driveways. Mm -hmm. At least last time I went into the grocery store and looked at the rents in London, I discovered that a snow shoveling job a few days a week uh, isn't, just isn't going to cut it. So I think we have to be really clear when we're talking about self-employment. I'm presuming that when you talk about self-employment, you're not talking about someone who can get a snow shovel and get a few hours work here and there. You're talking about someone who can actually create their own small business. And, and well, I would include up. both people. I mean, a person who picks up a snow shovel and, and, and can do work for someone else and gets paid for it is self-employed by definition. Um, and those are the folks who, as I said, are falling further and further behind in our economy well, if they're not able to make enough money. Now, to do you have statistics to show end. that? I mean, I know you don't trust statistics, but I don't know how you can make a statement like that other than in an anecdotal way. Well, and um, very often that's part of the problem we have with the data gathering that, that, that's available to us. Uh, we don't have uh, precise and concise information on that. In fact, in this city right now, we're struggling to figure out how many homeless people we in fact have in the city. We can measure who goes into the shelter. We can measure how many people show up for a meal. But that doesn't give us a picture of sleep under a bridge or how many people move in temporarily with relatives but aren't or they a, stay here Aren't they a separate issue entirely from, from what Jim's trying to talk about? You're talking about new jobs. You're talking about employment. Um, well, Susan, Susan's talking about people who aren't employed who are basically, I guess, potential welfare recipients of some sort. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, and I'm saying that our statistics don't always give us the full picture. Sure, there are some jobs getting created, but there's also jobs being cut, too, and uh, well, well, more what, secure jobs being cut. What about those people in, in, in your model of this efficient free market that, you know, everyone is able to contribute mm -hmm. and so on? What about the ones that just can't make the cut? I mean, how does, how does your picture of the market well, those people, take care of them? Well, there's a several ways. There's, not, there's no single way. Uh, again, I look at government as a last resort to help people like that, not the first. That's where a basic difference, I imagine, in my philosophy, between my philosophy and Susan's is. Um, I think that you help people like that, they need, uh, you have to find out why they're in a position of such helplessness um, and hopelessness, as Susan describes it. Are they unskilled? Do they not have the education? Can they, you know, what are the real problems if we're not talking about people who have... Uh, perhaps serious uh, health problems or serious uh, addictions of some sort. I mean, even those are problems that have to be addressed separately. And, and I think that's where you make a lot of assumptions. First of all, assumptions on, on where I stand on, on government helping people. But secondly, in terms of, of the needs that people have out in the community, when I get phone calls from people, very often they're people with, with all kinds of education. And the only job they're being offered or, or, or opportunity they're being offered is to get more training in an area they don't need training and they need a job. And they need and they need to to find employment so they can look after their needs and their families. You're saying that the training that's being offered to them is irrelevant to their finding a job. Or Sometimes employment? it is. Well, I've then, had phone calls. Who's from offering people. that kind of training? Certainly not the employer. 
Um, well, the government is, though. Well, there There's you go. That's a big problem yeah. right in and of itself. Is the government wasting a lot of money on these, these training programs. <laughs> Left, right, and center with Susan Eagle and uh, Robert Metz. We'll continue. This is Talk of the Town at 1290 CJBK. If you'd like to join the conversation, two numbers, 643-1290, or if you're a Cantel customer, a star 1290 on the Cantel Cellular Network. That's free call. And this is Left, Right, and Center this morning. Reverend Susan Eagle is a special guest, and we're very pleased to have her here, along with Bob Metz, our regular panelist, Jeff Schlemmer, away today. And uh, Chris wants to join the discussion. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, Jim. Yes, sir. I, uh, I always, uh, whenever I, I hear about uh, work situation in Canada, modern Canada, I always think of uh, uh, entrepreneurial spirit as uh, entrepreneurship. Um, the way these things are being fashioned is anything that's, that a high labor component is outsourced and all of a sudden all the standardized rules for employment and everything are thrown in the wastebasket mm -hmm. and as much liability as possible is pushed down onto the working individual mm -hmm. who is simply going to do some repetitive task or you know perform something that requires their uh, intelligence and their coordination and uh, as soon as they've used you up I mean once they outsource the largest dollar you're going to see is the first week that you you do it and it will be diminishing thereafter. It'll be hard to get increases. Although, Chris, I have to tell you that I have a number of friends in the, and I grant you, in the computer business, and it's a, it's a growing industry, but a number of people who were let go from large corporations in, in corporate downsizings who are now making more money as independent, independent contractors and wouldn't go back to the way they were for the world. Well, yes, but that's the, that's the inducement today. Where are they going to be 10 years from now? Well, one expects, and, and they expect that they'll still be on the cutting edge because they have a particular inducement to stay educated, to continually update their education, and to stay valuable. More of an inducement that they had than they had when they worked with the corporations. I think they'll find out that uh, when the educational market catches up to them, they'll be in a flooded uh, uh, job market and uh, be scrambling to, uh, to find any return on their, on their intelligence. Hmm. Well, interesting position. Uh, I would ask you why you would think that. And when you say the education market catches up, how are you going to catch up to people who've got experience in the industry, who've got all these years of experience, and continue to avail themselves of the latest training? You're never going to catch up to those individuals. They're always going to be on the top of the pile. Well, but uh, not all the work that's going to be out there is going to re require that oh, no. kind of insight of... Uh, Absolutely, but those people are going to be okay. No, I, I wasn't trying to suggest for a minute that every entrepreneur is going to do this, but I was challenging your assumption that people who do go out and become entrepreneurs on that basis are going to be going downhill from here on. Well, no, no, I don't I'm, I'm, just, I, I'm saying that, that certainly uh, um, I hope they uh, capture the money they capture and they invest it well and, mm -hmm. and uh, make good use of it, but I'm just saying that it's just natural in the model of, of outsourcing to think that uh, the day you're induced to, to uh, jump into the outsourced uh, employment, uh, that's the best dollar you're going to see. You're going to have a hard time because none of none of the asset value, none of the dynamic of a, a, an owned business is involved here. Mm -hmm. It is simply time sensitive, time driven, and uh, once that moment's passed, uh, um, your opportunity, your your piece of the action disappears. Okay, so how do we? Uh, how would you, if you had the ability, how would you modify our economic model today to prevent that from happening? Well, I think Canada has to ask itself exactly. We, we're sort of uh, uh, schizophrenic when it comes to what kind of a country we think we are offering each other or, or sharing amongst ourselves. Um, and one minute uh, we're a collective, and, and the next minute we're uh, everybody for themselves. And, and I, I'm not trying to argue for one side or the other. I just wish we would clearly 
develop a, a collective vision that uh, has gone through uh, um, the strainer. Well, then and you're arguing for the collective side. Hmm? Then you're arguing for the collective. No, side. no, I'm saying I'm saying that we should we should we should put it upon ourselves, mandate uh, ourselves to declare uh, consistently and and strongly exactly what it is because we've had all these years of of building up WIMIS and 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 all the other uh, uh, programs around employment and standards. Yeah, those are all the things that put you guys out of work. That's, huh? that's the kind of thing that put put the very people you're talking about out of work. Well, it may very well have. You it. I, again, out of the market. we're going to start getting into the statistics battle and whatnot, and that's not. I, I want to stay a little more. No, philosophical. I'm not going to mention a number. This is philosophical. You price yourself out of the market. You're competing with other people who have labor to offer, and you know you're also talking in terms of that the only thing labor has to offer is time. Well, it's it's time we stop thinking that way. Labor's got to offer a product, a skill, a service, a very specific thing, not just time given out to someone blankly. Uh, you know, that's no lifestyle for anybody. Chris, I want to thank you for uh, even suggesting that we need to have a collective vision. I think that that's really critical. I think uh, over the years that's exactly what's happened. There's always a place in the economy for some people, but not a place for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think to even raise that issue is really critical because there's always people who can say, look how well I did, or look how well somebody else is doing. But that doesn't mean there's a place in the economy for everyone. Name a collective vision. And I think it gets us into of whether or not we are a community and we do care about the broader well-being of all the people or whether we're just, you know, feel we're on this planet for our own ends right. and means well, what and if we're going to capture ourselves. What if, what, if, what, if, what if the collective vision, what if, if we said, okay, we have to make a decision, we're going to vote on it, what if the vote is that, that rugged individualism is the preference of the majority well, of Canadians? Well, what happens then? Well, generally, it has been the the, the, the the vision of the strongest voices, because that's precisely why they're the strongest voices, because they're out looking after their own self-interest. But that doesn't mean that we're further ahead as, as a culture or an economy, and the progressive well, view is that we have to care for the larger community. Well, wouldn't that you say a lesson you have to teach the people who aren't out for their self-interest? Is it just what you said? The people with the stronger voice are the ones that look out after their self-interest so by good heavens we got to be teaching people to look out after their self-interest i think our i think our and, and for me it comes out of a religious vision but i think when we start to look beyond our own self-interest we realize that we don't survive on this planet if all we're well, trying to do is look after our own anyone self-interest. who is working in a marketplace is looking beyond their own self-interest because they can only exist in a marketplace by serving others that's the only way you, you earn money, and you do it voluntarily. I can't just sit there and do nothing. I've got to be offering my customer something, and therefore I have to think about him. You may be think only thinking in the very short term in terms of the next buck you're going to get. Well, that's, that's not my a collective problem. vision. That's, well, no, a collective vision is you doing the thinking for me, and you telling me what to do, and you telling me who I'm working for. That's what collectivism is all about. Can I, can I One guy telling that? another guy Please how to do. live their life. <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. Uh, when, 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 when we look at this, this concept, okay, and and when I've had discussions with people what, who, like Mr. Metz, believe that uh, that we should all uh, get up on our own wheels and, and roll down the road, um, the the thing that that we're talking about fundamentally here is that when uh, uh, Rob's brother or cousin or uncle hurts his back at work, there will not be workman's compensation. When uh, my my now why do you uh, say that? Uh, how do you, how do you make that assumption? Unemployed with her three children. Uh, and I'm working uh, fruitfully someplace, as is my wife, as is my other brothers and whatnot, yeah. then it, it will fall back to us 
to put our hands out and, and Why would pick you up say an individual Chris, I don't and support them until they recover. I don't understand. I, I'm not. I'm not here to defend Bob's position or Susan's position. But I don't understand why you would say that. How how do you make the assumption that in a society where the individual, where the primary responsibility of the individual was to look after him or herself, that there would be no other mechanisms to look after them in adversity? For example, what about insurance programs? That's all workman's comp is. It's an underfunded insurance program. Why would you automatically assume? that this brother or cousin or someone in that society would not have taken steps to, to, to prepare for that eventuality. Well, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that, and that's fine if we're all going to be so circumspect and so thorough in our, our overviews of our life that we prepare for these things, but that, that also is not the nature of the human animal. The money well, some the human they, animals. They have a tendency to buy the things So what you're they, saying, Chris, is those people who don't take the, the caution to look after themselves and everything have a right to other people's uh, earnings or something. Is that I, what you're getting at? No, I'm just saying, are you going to... Are, are you... Uh, are, are you going to accept that your brother or sister or cousin or uncle or whatever family member may need to fall back uh, and rely upon you for a uh, protracted period of time in order to recover from, from some dastardly thing that can and, happen in the well, real world? And very... and what, what I hear you saying is that if you take um, Robert's um, theory to its final conclusion, everybody's looking after themselves and nobody's caring about what happens to anybody else. That's not what I said at all. I said people in a marketplace have to care about other people in order to look after themselves. It's quite the reverse. Yeah. It's in the collective that you're envisaging where no one has to do anything or care about anything as long as they get what they want from government, okay, which to me is pretty selfish. Here's the guy in the center again, Susan, to, to, to further the analogy or, or to, to take your what you're saying one step further. If we take your idea to its to its final point, mm -hmm. the idea is that nobody has to worry about themselves at all because the government's going to take care of everybody. Well, and that's presuming that when we are concerned about our neighbor, somehow we turn into lazy, you know, indolent people who just don't any longer want to contribute to the economy or to the society around us. And I don't buy it. But you're I think when you're people are really empowered. Uh, to be part of a community vision, you find that they're putting in more, not fair less, enough, enough. Into, well, the, well, into the community but around But you're them. also presuming that, that Robert's side is saying that those individuals will not care about, their, about the people around them. And I don't think that either one of those statements is any more or less valid than the other. I don't think your position is any more or less valid as his in terms of the community. You say, well, you know, I believe that, that, that we won't become indolent. And Bob isn't saying that 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 uh, at the extension of his argument that nobody's going to care about their neighbor. I mean, neither well, one of you has a monopoly on virtue here. No, neither except side. that we do have the experience of history that has shown that when people are totally looking after their own self-interest, they are inclined to allow the person who is is hurting and is vulnerable to fall behind. Hence, we have some absolutely where, where horrific, have you got an example of that? I, horrific genocidal what stories. You would regard as an example of that. Well, our entire history is full well, that's very big. Of, well, give of, of looking at can, people who have fallen behind. Can I, well, can I interject here? Well, Chris, I, I think we've, you've, you've been with us enough. We've got some other people okay. waiting, but I do thank you for Thanks your call. Thanks for joining today. us, Chris. Appreciate it, Chris. Uh, let's go to the phones, too, because we've got people who do want to join us, and that's part of why we're here today. Andrew's up next. Hi, Andrew. Hey, Tim. Yes, sir. What did I'm, you want to say today? I'm thinking about myself. I have no other choice. Uh, the problem is I find with these people that need help, and I've got a family member and stuff like that, is that they get married young, they run up huge debt, they find, and this is when they have a good car, or a job, they buy a new car and all this stuff, then it all comes crashing down, then they're saying, oh, I'm broke. Well, why are you having all these kids and stuff like that when, you know, you, you should be paying off your debts in good times? That's my problem. 
No, you're, you're, you're speaking from personal experience here, though. You're not. You're yeah, not just like these somebody people, told me something. Yeah, the first thing I asked them to help themselves is, say, you got a resume together?" And they say, "No." Mm-hmm. Like, what do you want me to do? I only help people that want to help themselves. I'll say, "Well, go get a resume, and I'll help you out on my computer." Mm-hmm. I never hear from them again. Mm-hmm. Like, I the thing I don't understand is what kind what kind of people need help. That's that's the big question, and we don't seem to get an answer to that. Yeah, um, like if, hopeless it, people. Most of it's financial, I find, and if you guys want to rent. Like run up a big debt when your times are good, that's fine. But you got to pay those debts off when times are good, or else it's going to hit you in the future. That's what I find, anyway. I appreciate the thoughts, Andrew. All right, thank, thank you, sir. Right. Susan, again, can we come back to who the the hopeless are? Because I think there is a lot of misunderstanding, or people don't understand. Um, certainly, today, I think we all know someone. I, I certainly do, uh, who's been unemployed for a long time. Maybe we know more than one person in various circumstances. Some of them, some of them are victims, clearly, of, a, of an economy that moved too fast for them, and they will probably be able to get back on that horse again. But there are others that the economy has simply left them behind. Are, are they the hopeless ones? Well, uh, some of them are. L- let me tell you, Jim, I started out, and I guess still am, a part of the middle class, I grew up in a family that had offered me stability, uh, gave me self-respect and dignity. I got an education. Um, most of my adult life, I've been able to have employment, and not only not only employment, but but able to do work that that I feel good about being able to do. I've had friends and family supports around me all my adult life. Um, one of the most uh, enlightening experiences I had was as I finished university and finished theology, taking a course that required that I go out and live on the streets of Toronto for three days and nights with no money so that I could have a personal experience of powerlessness. Um, and the it was an absolutely traumatizing experience for me, even though I knew it was a simulated experience. Finding myself at the very bottom, finding myself a nobody, in our economy, finding that I had no wherewithal to no supports around me. And I knew it was a simulated experience. And yet I thought, what would it be like if this was my life? And I thought, how much of my life has depended on the middle class values and education and supports I've had? And how arrogant of me as a middle class person to sit in judgment on people who may not have had the benefits that well, I've had. You don't have and to they, sit in judgment on anybody. You don't well, even have to judge them find, at all. And yet but aren't I you find doing that? You're calling them hopeless. You're calling uh, them helpless. They can't uh, do anything. That's no, a pretty major Robert, judgment. I'm, I'm getting a little irritated with you. Keep coming back to this hopeless thing. Well, you use I'm the not, term. I use, use term. the term hopeless in terms of saying that that's how the analysts have identified a group of people who are falling further and further behind in our economy. People who they believe are maybe never going to dig their way out of the hole. And I shouldn't use that term. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that you need to not attribute it to me because I haven't, I've said that this has been the analysis that has come from those who are trying to look at a, at a, a group in the economy who are falling further and further behind. But I'm also getting awfully tired of people who have benefits, have wherewithal, have education, have money, sitting in judgment on people who they say get pregnant or do this or do that. Who are you referring to? I'm not sure if we have the right to sit in judgment on people who have a different life experience than we do. That doesn't mean 
that uh, I want to emulate it or hold it up as virtuous or say they haven't made mistakes. We all make mistakes. I think when someone comes don't to us for we assistance, have the right. we have every right to make that judgment. In fact, we have a moral obligation to make that judgment. Just like Andrew was saying, he was happy to help somebody if they'd be willing to lift a finger to help themselves. Maybe, but he has no moral obligation to help somebody I who won't say, even help themselves. But I'm saying that maybe if he walked in their shoes he might understand more about what they're struggling with. Maybe he understands them better than they understand themselves. Well, I guess there's always you know? that perspective that we can understand <laughs> someone else better than they understand on, themselves. On that note, what I, I understand is that we have to pause for a moment here, and we'll be back with more on Left, Right, and Center after this. Center this morning, Robert Metz, Susan Eagle, and Jim Chapman. And let me say at this point, too, because there's been a little contention here, I think all of us are agreed that, that we do not want to see anyone suffering uh, in our community. I think Robert, I know, feels that way. I feel that way. Susan feels that way. Uh, each of us has a different view of how we might solve the problems that are there, and that's kind of what we're trying to get to today. So are there any solutions out there for these problems? Uh, Susan has suggested, and one of our callers, that perhaps a more collective vision would do it. Robert says that that's the wrong way to go. We're curious to know what you think, and we'll continue our conversation as our show continues with caller Sue. Hi, Sue. Hi. How are you today? Fine, thank you. Got webs between your toes yet. <laughs> uh, actually, I, I had the friend phone me and say that you were uh, doing something on the small business, and I heard the one caller saying, you know, there's uh, all these problems out there. There's help out there, too. Mm -hmm. And that's where we need to focus. There's help. And I'm trying, I've been on disability for five years trying to get a small business started. Yeah. And there's help in the small business center, um, in will counseling, and lots of other places out there. However, I'm, because I'm on a disability, I'm noticing that I'm also getting a bit of problems getting it going in that through the disability I'm not looking for money right. from them but I I've had I just got a, a form actually a client record-keeping form and one of the things that really kind of upset me was if I want to reinvest money into my business mm -hmm. that I've got to get approval for it mm -hmm. and isn't that the purpose of getting a business going yeah, I think investing to keep it going. To, to my, from my point of view, and, and, and we've done some programming here on some of the so-called government help programs for, for mm -hmm. small business and people trying to get started. And I think, I don't know what Susan feels or how much experience you've had, but I think a lot of times they do more harm than good. Um, they're, not, they're not helpful to you, as you're pointing out. They, they, they encourage you to do one thing, and then they stop you from doing it. Exactly. Now, mm -hmm. I've gone through an entrepreneurial training program. I am about a smidgen away from the completion of my business plan. I'm now they're looking for sponsorships for it, and I got this form, and I was saying, okay, now if I can't, I can't claim uh, expense, I can't claim this, I can't claim that. Mm -hmm. Now it's not that I will be wanting to take money out of the business for my personal use. Mm -hmm. I, you know, you have to get your business growing first sure. if you want to expand. But they're not allowing you to do that. So the program that's supposedly helping you isn't is what the point well, you're trying to make. It, it doesn't look like it's going to. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering, you know, how, how do you get started? If I, I'm collecting a disability, mm -hmm. and I and I have to say I thank God for that, that it's there yeah. for me, and because I've been a worker all my life, so I come up with a, a very valid business plan and a that it will fill a void that's out there, but they're holding me back. If I want to do something, I have to get approval, and they'll only give me approval if they can, if I can prove that it will increase my income. Now, who, who exactly do you have to get approval from? So? Well, I've got the form right in front of me. It's, it's from the Community and Social Services. Mm -hmm. If you wish to reinvest monies you earn from your business back into your business, you must get approval from your worker to offset this as a business expense. Uh, and you must describe how much you uh, wish to inv reinvest and how it will affect your business. The same thing with going to a conference or a convention that may be 
maybe necessary to get your your product out there. Well, Sue, is it possible, though, that what they're trying to do is to make sure you access advice when you might need the advice the most? Um, that's, uh, now, thank you. I, I never thought of it in that uh, regard. I just looked at it and I thought, what are they telling me? If I, you know, if I need this, I have to, and I have to prove that it will increase my business. Yeah. But it, there's no guarantees in mm -hmm. anything that it's going to increase your business. True, but, uh, you know, try. and I don't know if that's the rationale, but it seems to me that that might, that might be a sound one for that kind of policy. Say, this is an important decision for you to make. You're just getting your business going. We, we're trying to help you do that, and maybe this is a way to ensure that when you do need access to the advice, that you that you that you get it. You know, because you might not even realize that. Well, I'm, I'm going to put so much money back in. Maybe that's not the right amount or for the right reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, so, that, let, so let me jump in on, on a couple of points. One is um, one of the concerns that that certainly we've had for a long, long time is that when folks are on some form of social assistance or disability, that very often some of the initiatives uh, put in place by the government for people who want to get off the system and get into to, to their own businesses have not been helpful, that there have been some mm -hmm. barriers in the way for people. Mm -hmm. um, the Small Business Center is, is helpful, and so are some agencies. You might also want to talk to some of the folks over at Lifespin who have been working on community economic development uh, for a while. In fact, last week I hosted um, a speaker coming into city council chamber to speak to the community on community economic development, Lance Evoy, who's done a lot of work with the um, development um, with initiatives in Montreal, and he also spoke about experiences with people uh, doing some business initiatives and community economic development in Edmonton as well. Unfortunately, we only had about 10 members of the public there that, that showed up um, to, to hear, to, you know, make use of some of the incredible expertise that this man had and that he brought to the city. But there are a number of people out there, and that certainly has been part of the work I've tried to do over the last few years to support people who are trying to do that. I know there's not much visibility right now um, around initiatives in that area, but there's some really good wealth of exp expertise out there um, for people who can give some supports to you. So I appreciate your call. I do have to leave it there, though, but thank you for oh, joining us. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it very much. Uh, Susan, I want to come back to this to the picture of uh, you and I chatted briefly during the spots. We're going to have to break for, for some more commercials here, but when we come back, I want to talk to Susan about, um, again, the people who are most at need and how we most effectively help them. Stay with us for more on Left, Right, and Center. And our program continues with Reverend Susan Eagle and, uh, and Robert Matz, too, on Left, Right, and Center. 643-1290 is our telephone number, and Gord's up. Hi, Gord. Hi, how are you doing? Fine, thanks. Okay, I was just going to say that with Mr. Metz always saying that, you know, you shouldn't take money from other people in that, but people get rich, they don't get rich in a vacuum. Somebody had to give them a break somewhere along the line. That's like a symbiotic relationship in our society. Mm -hmm. It sure, provided the environment. Earlier. What's that? That's what I was talking about earlier. You have to do something for other people in order to make money in a, in a free market. Mm -hmm. That's the symbiotic relationship. Mm -hmm. Well, well, with Reverend Eagle was saying, too, is that uh, that's the part of a giving society, too, when people fall through that cracks. Like, right now, it seems a lot of people are like hamsters on a treadmill. The faster they run. Mm -hmm. you, interesting that you use the word a giving society, though, because, again, one of the, one of the, the watersheds for, um, for the, between the left and right in this country is this idea of giving. Mm -hmm. the, the, the left, and I'm going to speak generally, mm -hmm. um, seems to feel that we do have an obligation to give and that you, in, in a sense, you must give. The right, and again, I'm speaking very generally, tends to think, well, I may have an obligation, moral or otherwise, but, but I'm not for, I should not be forced to do it. 
even though it's an obligation, if I choose to ignore the obligation, that should be my right and privilege. So you, you use the idea of what a giving society, what some people on, and I'm, I don't know why I'm speaking for Bob here, but some people on the right would say that that's what we're concerned about. We don't mind a giving society. What we don't like is a forced-to-give society. Mm, well, I understand that, but then it's like for society's benefit. Like, they're, they're forced, but everybody's kind of forced in a way. In, in our, not that, I don't want to like that word force, but... Well, you, you, don't, you don't like the word, Gord, because it, because it has a very specific moral uh, judgment attached to it. And that, that's what we always avoid when we try to avoid using the words that we should be using to describe the process we're using. People are, they know that this is not a good thing to do. And, it, and I agree with you. Yeah, we are all forced to participate on these social programs. And look where they're getting us. They're getting us more poor people, more people on... Uh, supposedly in trouble, more people desperate. I mean, with the increased spending year after year on these programs through government, why aren't things getting better? And I suppose, Robert, you also feel that you're forced to drive on the right side of the road. Um, but if you drive on the left-hand side of the road, you're going to create a big mess. Yes, but that's, a, that's, a, that's an acceptable and proper use of force. <laughs> force is not evil in and of itself. It's the initiation so, of force that, that so creates the evil. So caring for the people around us feels forced, but driving on the right-hand side of the road so that we can all coordinate Isn't our movements is... funny how that argument is, comes up every time? It is. It has been heard on the program before. Um, <laughs> well, I think if we're going to live together in a society, we have to have certain... Uh, ways in which we coordinate our life with each other. I don't feel it's forced. Hmm, a free market. Taxes are the, are Freedom, not are the price we pay for a civilized society. Caring for people around us is, is part of the function of us living so together. So would you say a 100% tax rate would make us totally civilized then? Well, I think you're just trying to be silly here. Well, I think what we do is we identify the fact that there are always going to be some amongst us who are vulnerable, who are in need, who need some support. And that that's part of the of the way in which we are a compassionate and a caring but society. But the difference between you and I is that you believe in a force of force, and I Gordon believe in jump voluntary. Because I think he's got more to say. I say, how do we sort of become slaves to the economy? To me, the economy it's invented by us. It should do what we want it to do instead of us become its slave. It's sort of done with smoke oh, and Gordon, mirrors. No, sometimes. no, no. You got it. You're, you're you're in the smoke. Let me tell you, and you're right in between all the mirrors. Well, thanks we for your comments, We are the economy, Gordon. Gordon. We're not <laughs> slaves to it. We are it. You and I are exactly. members of an so economy. He, it'll so, do whatever so what you're saying is do. you're a slave to yourself. That that's a misnomer. You can't use slavery is is one person enslaving another, not 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 your own self. Gordon, I do have to leave it there, but I appreciate your call, and we've got one more caller, another Gord. Hello, Gord. Hello, Jim. Yes, sir. Uh, and good day to your guests. Good. Um, I'd like to talk about uh, the issue that was brought up before, and that was uh, the individual versus the collective vision. Well, quickly, as quickly as you can, Gord, because we're running short on time. Okay. Uh, basically, I guess what I'd like to say is a community does not speak with one voice unless it's a totalitarian society. And I don't think that's the kind of vision that we want. Uh, history proves that, uh, that throughout uh, time that uh, the state is the problem, and it enslaves the individual. And when we want to talk about uh, the history of collectivism versus individualism, I think it's 100% on the side of individualism, and uh, all I have to do is bring up uh, the 1940s in Europe. All right. Thank you, Gord. Okay. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thank bye. you. Uh, we're still not getting anywhere here, <laughs> none of us, on what we do in the absence of a collective is distinct from a collectivist vision because I think you can make the case, Susan, that we already have a collective vision. That's the vision that's expressed by the people we vote to lead us. I mean, 
uh, that's as close as we can come yeah. in a democracy. And, and, I, we've got now. and, and I'd take issue with the last caller that, that any kind of a collective activity turns into totalitarianism. No, I think he didn't say that. Oh, come on now. You don't like it when people misquote you. He didn't say that either. Well, that's what I heard He him talked saying. about collectivist societies and said yeah. the only way you can have a true a society that will speak with one voice is in our human history is for it to have been a totalitarian yeah, and government. I, and I frankly wouldn't want to live in a society that, that did speak with one voice. I think part of, for me, a collective vision is the flexibility um, of having many different voices mm -hmm. and having a diversity, both a diversity of culture and a, but a that's diversity what we have now, of... Isn't it? But are we allowed to have different actions as well as voices? I mean, you know, people can tell me I have well, a right I, to my voice, but I still got to pay the tax to this other person's opinion. Well, I, I, I think you're entitled to have your voice. I mean, heck, I listen to you all the time um, with your voice. I mean, uh, we, we have the, the right to listen and to, and to agree and disagree with each other. But, but do I, we? That's what I'm asking. Uh, I mean, well, just, yes. just, just disagreeing in opinion is very, you know, people in this country may disagree with, for example, abortion, but they're being forced to pay for the abortions of others through our health care system. Do they, are, are you saying they still have the right to their opinion? Well, I think everybody has the right to their opinion. And well, I think part how do of you have your right to your, to your opinion if you cannot express it with your own body and your own property and your own money, then somebody else is making those decisions for you? Well, I think, again, if we're going to agree that we want to live in some kind of harmony together, uh, we, there are certain parameters that we put in place that we agree to I agree, as and that a society. Would be banning force between human, human beings, not, not allowing one person to force the other person to give to the charity of their choice. So when you leave here today, you're going to drive down the left-hand side of the road because you believe it's and your right to do so? Yeah, but it's true. You realize how big a non sequitur that is, and and no, it it's precisely the point that we have to ac accept the fact that in in any. Are you kind saying that I don't believe in laws and that I don't believe in justice? Well, that's what I'm asking you. Well, then don't talk about the right side of the road. Yes, I believe in justice, and justice is people making decisions for themselves. When you get out on that road, mm -hmm. nobody's telling you whether you have to go north or south on Wellington. That's your choice. Right. The thing that enables you to have the freedom to make that choice is the rules to which we've all agreed on that road. And the issue of roads is not uh, what I'm talking about. The issue with roads is completely property rights. The city determines which side uh, of the road you, you drive I'm, on I'm or the province the, or whoever. I'm using the reference to roads in terms of our philosophy and attitude. We have to agree that we're going to have certain things in place that facilitate the life of mm -hmm. people in the community. One of those things that facilitates the life in the community is access to, to health care, us providing some health care for people in the community so that, and, and, and trying to prevent um, diseases um, that kill people. But Susan, what's that um, got to do with driving on which side of the road? The, the, well, the, the, the same the, thing The fallacy in your argument about the road is that it doesn't cost me any more whether I drive on the right or the left. We agree we're going to drive on the on the right-hand side. It costs side of the, to build the road in the first place. But it place. doesn't cost me any more to drive on the right or the left. It makes no difference. Well, it costs it's, a lot more to drive on the left. You'll have a big accident. No, it's, a, it's a decision <laughs> that we've made that does not affect, does not affect our pocketbooks, does not affect any saying, kind of expenditure at all. What I'm saying, say, Jim, is that we agree every minute of the day, if we're part of a community, mm -hmm. a part of a society, that there are certain rules around how we're going to live in yeah, community absolutely. together. And we follow them now, but you don't like some of them, and neither does Bob. There are rules that both of and you don't like. And there's a process, and there is a democratic process mm -hmm. for us to engage in to change yeah, any exactly. of those rules. Exactly. exactly. So an argument to change the rule is not to say that we, have, that we have to have rules. That's not the argument. You're avoiding the argument. The argument is what rules should we have and why. Uh-huh. And, and what you're and, telling me is that... And I happen to believe that we need to have a certain... Um, um, means by which 
we develop a compassionate society and care for the vulnerable in our midst. And for no. me, it's part of the collective vision and what moves us forward. We are stewards of this earth. We are participants in a larger picture, and we have some responsibility for the care and well-being of okay. each other. I have, to, I have to bring this picture. back to where we started then. <laughs> okay. are, we, are we any closer today with a resurgent economy than we were, say, five years ago? Are you any more hopeful? Um, I don't know. I'm going to look at what's happening. I'm hear, hearing stories of real grief from people in the community. But yes, I'm always hopeful. I'm always Robert, hopeful what about that you? we'll are, move forward. Are we ahead of where we were five years ago in terms of meeting our whatever economic goals we should be setting for ourselves? I think so. I think more and more people are realizing that government's not the place to look for help. You've got to look to yourself. All right. Well, my thanks to both of you. An interesting and wide-ranging discussion today. Susan, you and I have to talk some more on the air about, again, because we never did kind of figure out how we're going to solve the problem for these folks. But my thanks to Reverend Susan Eagle and to Robert Metz for joining me this morning. Thanks to you for listening, and we invite you to join us tomorrow. We've got a gentleman on who's written a very interesting book about people who have prospered in adversity. He'll be joining us, too. His name is Burton Folsom. Um, we've got a whole bunch of other stuff, too. Just make sure you don't miss it. For Susan, for Bob, for Ryan, for Tara, it's Jim saying, please take care of each other, mind how you go, and we will see you tomorrow for the next edition of Talking to Tom. Bye-bye.